0: Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Jessica Crow. Jessica is a mind-body expert with more than 20 years of experience helping people and organizations around the world nurture their well-being using meditation, stress reduction, and mindfulness practices. Her company Centered wellness is founded on the belief that well-being is essential to creating better health inside and out. Jessica holds a degree in behavioral neuroscience, and today we'll talk a bit about her beautiful book, which is called The Power of Guided Meditation, which is really anchored around simple practices to promote well-being. And before we hop into the show, I just wanted to say I often survey the Electric Ideas community to ask you what you want more of. I am here to serve and learning how to be present in the moment has been a topic that's been requested. It's come up a lot. So I just wanted to let you know, I do listen. I love feedback. So don't hesitate to drop me a line anytime on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. If there's a topic you want to learn about or an amazing woman you'd like to see join me on the show. All right, let's do this. Okay, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I want to get right in because there's something in the opening of your book that you said that just grabbed me right away. You said, a decade ago, I was at the end of a long term partnership and suddenly in the midst of a big medical scare. I had no stress management tools. I knew that if I wanted to feel better each day and live with purpose, I needed to change my lifestyle to include tools for anxiety reduction. And mindful ways to reconnect with my higher self. I know that's a lot, but I wanna start here because I'm curious what your message might be for people today about not waiting until we're in that crisis mode to explore anxiety reduction and some of these wonderful mindfulness tools that I know we're gonna talk about
1: today. Well, the longer you wait, the more emotional and reactive mode you're in right? And the harder it is to to find the time or the attention, rather, the attention to learn new things, to adopt them and create a new behavior in your life. It's going to be harder when you're in that emotional reactivity mode. So we all, I think most of us know about the concepts of our higher brain and our lower brain. Right? we have the prefrontal cortex and and everything that makes that up which is our control center it's like the ceo of our life you know as higher evolved human beings that's what we rely on for executive functioning moral decision making and self control that kind of thing but we have the sometimes called the reptilian brain the lower brain it's like some parts of the lower brain midbrain brain stem and that is our emotional center, and it's a very subconscious or even unconscious center, and it's reactive. And I think that a lot of people believe that since this higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, that's doing all this great decision-making and dealing with patients and all these higher abilities, that that that's stronger, right? That that's more powerful than the lower brain. But in fact, (laughs) The emotional centers are extremely powerful. So the moment they get turned on, and we may not even realize it, the moment that they get turned on, it's really hard to come back out and have a sense of reasoning and, well, let me think this through. What's the right thing to do? Let me take a few breaths. Unless you've spent time already. Conditioning your brain and building up, like building up a muscle. If you've already spent time doing the work, so mindfulness practices and meditation, especially, even if those are little things, you spend time doing it over time, then you're strengthening those muscles. So when you get lit up in your lower brain, when something activates you or triggers you, you're going to feel it and you might have an outward response. But then faster and faster, you'll be able to get it back under control. So you won't slip so far maybe into, well, said relationship that I was quoting in the book was about five and a half years, I believe. Maybe it would have been six months. And then I could rethink things. Is this making me happy? Can I make a change? Rather than rolling with the emotional reactions, right? Mm-hmm. We want to act consciously instead of react and that's the difference between, um, you know, a mature adult usually and a child that has a more, you know, emotional reactivity. They're going to just respond and they they flip emotions very quickly. And and that's all beautiful and human or organic as well. But as we learn, as we learn self control and we learn what's best for us and how to treat others around us, we are strengthening or working towards having more control over our emotions, right? What would happen if the world was run by emotions? So I think a lot of it, a lot of it is. So if, if you look at war, the violence that's going on, racism, all of these very deeply rooted things, they are really run by emotion. There's not a lot of higher thinking, is this still good for society? Is this still good for our people? We're not going there. So I I think beyond it being something that we're looking to develop individually, right? It's something we want to develop culturally and worldwide as well.
0: That's a beautiful offering. And I'm so glad we we started there because that is a lot. I just want to mirror something back to you for my own kind of clarity and my my listenership because something that's standing out when we're when we're thinking about our own practice and you know, we're gonna Talk a little bit about meditation, but more kind of mindfulness day-to-day practices. And those are distinct, but something I've realized in my own practice, and it is an ongoing practice for me with meditation is that I'm able to show up more present in my day, but on the times where I do get upset or I do find I'm triggered emotionally, I'm able to kind of come back to that less reactive mode more quickly. And it's really hard to explain that. Until you kind of experience that, and I just want to mirror that back for you, because I started with that question of like why not wait? And I think for me, it's almost like I've just experienced how it can like bring me back to my center before I get to that freaking point. Does that make sense? That's very like common terms that I hope my audience
1: <laughs> absolutely, so i mean the the major goal. The ideal is we practice, we practice, we put these these little things in our lives, exercises, meditation, we practice being mindful in everyday life, we have these little mindful moments and take breaths and journal and do all these things. And then when we get triggered, we automatically stop ourselves from having an enormous reaction that affects other people. That's the ideal. That doesn't always happen. So that's another thing to talk about, too. I had an experience yesterday, personally, where I got triggered and did not catch myself. But I did, you know, I got it under control afterwards. There was an apology. I figured out how this was a lesson for me and tried not to beat myself up because it's not perfect. We're not perfect. But the goal is to get better. But what you said is very instrumental because when you start practicing mindfulness and cognitive behavioral techniques, things like that, you do catch yourself a lot. And it's in that moment right before saying something or going into another negative thought pattern, doing the same thing that you know is not helpful, doesn't make you feel good, whatever it is, whatever that habit is. It's right before that. Sometimes you catch yourself and you say this is a choice. This is a choice. Like I feel my body going into it. I feel like I'm being magnetized. I'm, I'm, I'm halfway slipping in, but wait, I have power over my decisions. I have power over my life. And then even if you totally switch it or not, just feeling that moment of power, that's what's revitalizing. That's what we need. It clears away self-doubt And that's why meditation and mindfulness practices are so important. That clearing of self-doubt, that kind of re-empowering of ourselves, it's not just in that moment. It's not just living in that moment. It stays with you and builds days and weeks and months and years later. And every time it gets a little better. So that little moment of catching yourself and making a different decision, that's even just slightly better for yourself. That rolls over that energy rolls over into your work and your relationships and your passions. and it, wow, you feel great about yourself, right? Yes. I did it. i'm I'm teachable. Mm. <laughs> I'm just an animal.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so speaking of empowering, i I think so many women want to be empowered with this feeling. There's just so much talk about the importance of being present. and, You're deep into this space. What is your definition of what it is to be present, and why do you think it's so powerful?
1: Being present is just being in the moment. So, not allowing extraneous thoughts to take over, not letting them take hold, not getting super engaged with them. So, it's being right here, centered in the moment. I'm right here talking to you. I see your face. My full attention is on our conversation. How valuable is that these days? Modern society has made this a very difficult feat when it didn't used to be so difficult. But it's such a challenge now because of mobile devices, social media, the fact that we're available to everyone all the time via email or messaging. You know, the moment we wake up to nighttime, we are expected to be available. Our attention is in more places than it's probably ever been. And anxiety is higher across the world than it's ever been, ironic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So to be present and remain present means bringing our attention in to one point. Whatever we're focusing on at this moment, it's not multitasking, but we're all convinced that we're getting very good at multitasking because we have our laptop. And our phone and all the other things going on, and we can make a list of 15 things we need to do today, and we can keep it all going. And it feels it could feel very good to your ego, especially if you keep all the balls in the air, right? Do you have those days? (laughs) I certainly have this. Oh, I did everything on my list and I called them back and I took care of that and I picked this up and I'm I'm on top. Oh, that feels good. But are we really giving the highest quality of attention to each of those things. And maybe they don't all need them, but some of them do. Work projects, personal relationships, some of them do. Engaging with your passions, your creativity, it needs your full attention. So when our full focus is there and it's not distracted, it's not, and I think of like a constellation. So it's just spread out. You know, there's a, a finite amount of attention that we have as a human. And if we're on 20 different tasks and the alert that just went off on the phone and the thing that's happening outside the apartment, it's, it's spread out no matter what. And we don't have access to the knowledge that we've built around that subject. Everything we've absorbed and created, we don't have access to our self-knowledge around it, the things we've learned in the past the notes we've made for ourselves about decisions we want to make next time that topic comes up or you know the things that are really important to us are they in the forefront of your mind we don't have access to our intuition when we're split so to me yeah the present moment is a long way around but the present moment is just bringing it all back to right now and you know the most Probably the most popular common way to do that is with the breath, which we did at the beginning of this session, which was so lovely. Thank you. So just taking a couple of breaths could be a very basic way to bring it all back in. So the breath is, it's really like a pinnacle of present moment awareness, right? It's, it's always moving if you're alive. It's always changing, going in and out. It's always right now. The past is never the future. It's always happening right now. So when we tune back into that, saying that's this is what's happening right now. This is not breath an hour ago or breath later on. This is right now. And it draws us back in. It also gives us that grounding effect of coming back into the body, which I use a lot in my practices and training teachers as well. Because we are we are not just our emotions. And our thoughts and our intellect. We are our bodies and they are connected. So it's really important to realize that meditation doesn't have to be completely in your head. You don't have to sit still and lose track of your body. We're using our body. We're here using our bodies, right? We have this amazing gift, and the body interacts with the breath, the thoughts interact with the body, and vice versa. It's really all one. We just, Our human brains like to separate things. So that's how it goes and makes it more rational, easier to follow and understand and learn about things. But body, mind, spirit, all one thing. So drawing that breath in, coming back to the present moment on the breath, feeling it come into the body, grounding. Here I am in this body. I'm not over there in that worry. I'm not over there reiterating what happened this morning at work. I'm right here in this body taking a breath.
0: Yes. I'm glad you brought up the simplicity of the breath, because if we're listening to this, we're breathing, everybody has access to that. And I think what happens, okay, I'll give just a, I think an example that happens to a lot of women. It's like they sit down to do something and they maybe are inspired by Jessica Crow and they want to single task And their worries about the future or their to-do list is clicking or they're replaying that like, oh crap, did I overshare in that conversation yesterday? Like, (laughs) who knows? And they, it's not for a lack of wanting, but they really are struggling for many of the reasons to drop in. Is there anything else just in terms of moving through our day-to-day life that you found helps your clients drop in when they're ready to drop, when they've made that decision and they're trying to be intentional, but maybe they don't have an extensive background of a meditation practice to lean in or or anything like that.
1: The largest influencing factor here, the biggest influencing factor is just putting things into your schedule and being really diligent. And that can be three minutes, five minutes, creating these practices that are every time the same day, right? So we're teaching our brain. This is part of my day. This is part of my schedule. This is what I do. So maybe you're journaling for 10 minutes right after you wake up. And then you have another calendar alert set in your phone for the middle of the afternoon. You turn everything off. You go into a different place away from your computer or desk and you just breathe for five minutes or follow a guided meditation. Reconnect. Whatever that looks like to you could be going out, taking a walk, bringing mindfulness into your process of walking on a break, could be taking a bath at night. Ideally, you'll have several of these processes, but whatever it looks like to you and making it really firm. This is a non-negotiable. And then in those moments, they may never grow past five minute or 10 minute practices, but the more you do them, the more they accumulate. And they strengthen these parts of the brain. So when you're in the throes of everything, you feel like you're in the weeds and you're thinking about this and that, and you can't bring it back to center, you will be better able to, just like we were talking about the reactional, the emotional reaction and getting triggered, right? That's the work. That's the big word. (laughs) getting triggered by something emotionally. But then if you've done some of this work, you can pull yourself back out of it or at least you can reflect on it and make you know make sure you make a different decision next time sometimes you can catch yourself before you react and it's similar that you're strengthening these executive processes these parts of the brain all of these neural networks that are going to help you get from oh I have to pick up the dry cleaning and the kids have soccer and then there's this thing going on and you know like my belly hurts is telling me that and there's All of this information bombarding you, it's that same network that's going to respond to your signals that you've created, journaling, taking a few breaths, doing some sort of mindfulness practice, a guided meditation. Now it's going to respond because that's the signal that it's okay to drop back into you. Let those things go. They're still going to be there, right? But this is sort of a subconscious conditioning. When you can put these in your calendar, like you're really instilling them in your life. This is a new behavior you're creating. And, you know, some people say that takes a month. Some say three months. In the whole scheme of things, that's not a lot of time. So let's do it. <laughs> put them in your calendar. Don't forget Make it easy for yourself at first, put up post-it notes, write something on your mirror, create a little space where you go sit, download an app on your phone. That's right there on the home screen. That's your meditation app, whatever it is, make it easy for yourself. Once you start creating that, even if you don't feel like doing it, you've done it for a little while, you've strengthened these cognitive processes. Once you get in the weeds, it's going to be easier to pull back out. Yeah, it goes for emotional reactivity and being triggered. It also goes for just being overtasked. Is that a word? <laughs> Having too many. <laughs> and I know I, I read some research, it was a couple of years ago now, but I, I do think about it a lot when my mind is is doing it, about how women use more of their brains on, on things like remembering if we need toilet paper. Or wonder, like, are we out of this yet? I have to get it. Like those kind of little thoughts, right? So we're doing that
0: as well.
1: We have more to work against in that in that regard.
0: Just wow. one more reason to make sure that we're, we're giving ourselves some of this space and tools to practice.
1: Right, and that we're allowing ourselves self-compassion because- mm-hmm. You hear that information. That's not just you. That's all women. That's across the board. So it's relatable. It's not just you that's going through it. That's, that should give us, you know, a moment of ease and sigh where you can say, Oh, okay, well this isn't just my brain freaking out. You know, I'm not the only one struggling with this. So that makes it a little easier to give ourselves self-compassion.
0: So important. I want to go back just a little bit because One of the examples in your book, you list all these beautiful mindfulness practices and some of them you kind of rank beginner or advanced. And one of the ones that was a beginner example was going for a walk. And I think this is the perfect example because every woman can picture what it feels like to like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. But I think that some people go for a walk to like get their stepson or like burn off some. That energy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm curious if you could share your perspective. I actually remember something that struck me as I was reading and, you know, planning to try out this exercise. I I earmarked it because it's so simple. But I think the first thing you said was, Start at a pace that's a little slower than you'd usually use in your life. Like you're not trying to do your I'm trying to get somewhere pace. So let's start there. Why was that important to start with? (laughs) Because I kind of loved it. And just tell us about this practice and how it could be one example of the type of tools we could incorporate into our life to live more mindfully.
1: Sure. Well, I just posted up a mindful walking meditation. I don't know if if that's why you were bringing this up, or if this was just a <laughs> no, it's total coincidence. But yeah, I just posted it up on Insight Timer in my podcast. So there's an example of it there. What I posted was a practice, and I think this is similar to what's in the book, a practice I learned decades ago when I was first getting into mindfulness and exploring what it was and doing practices, you know, back in the in-person class time, You'd walk around the room that you were in. That's it. If you were outside, maybe you'd walk around the same space outside, but you weren't trying to go anywhere. This wasn't a normal walk. You're walking to really feel the awareness in your body, how your body moves through space, how your body weight balances over your joints, how it supports you. What happens to your breath as you move around and you start very slowly. Sometimes you walk slowly the whole time. And you just walk around in circles. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're trying to feel what's going on from your toes to your head. So that is, that is a mindful walking practice that is really, in essence, a moving meditation. There's another kind of walking meditation, which you can take out into the world. And maybe if you have a seven or 10 minute commute to the train or you're walking to wherever you're going. You can do this while you're walking. Usually while we're walking, we're not being super mindful. We're caught up in all of the surroundings and the people and the noises and the sights that we're seeing and not even paying so much attention to them, but allowing them to trigger thoughts in our heads. So triggering memories. And now we're worried about that. Oh, I need to stop there and get that. Or remember that time and think about a certain person. And that's where we are. So we're not being mindful. Our mind is full of stuff. So we try to do the opposite and you can start by feeling your feet on the ground and noticing the pace that you're walking, but then we're taking in surroundings in a different way. We're taking in the surroundings as if we've never seen them before. That's one good way to do it. I've never, I've never seen these people walking to work before. Uh, look at the sidewalk, the cracks in the sidewalk, the texture, how it feels under my feet. Maybe you take a different route walking. You turn on a different block. There's a sense of making it novel and new. And if you like, you can even bring in a mode of appreciation, loving kindness, you may pass people and wish them well, right, to yourself. And then you're in a a state of mindfulness rather than just reacting to what's going on. You're mindfully in that moment, giving, expressing. So this is a, not the simplest practice. And Again, these things don't look perfect at first. They don't always look perfect anyway. You may go walking and you've you're in the space and being really observant and mindful and you know, remaining the observer, staying neutral and just noticing the environment. Oh, it's all brand new. And then a minute and a half passes and you're caught. You're caught in a, a memory or a worry, like some sort of thought stream, right? Something triggered you, something subconscious came up, you stubbed your toe, whatever, you're out of it. And then you go back in. It is just like a seated meditation practice in that way, where you're going to get caught by the thoughts. They're going to come in. How do we just let them go and return to the present moment? So even if you're walking, maybe it's taking a couple of deep breaths while you're walking, right? Or maybe it's you know switching your perspective again and looking for something that you hadn't noticed before like so a fresh perspective so you can adopt it and take it out into your everyday walks and commutes it's going to be more challenging if you already have a lot of things on your mind like if you're headed to work to give a presentation maybe not the best time to practice this and i would start off with the type where you're really focused on your body awareness body and breath awareness how your body moves through space in a controlled environment. And you might be outside, but maybe not a lot of people, not a lot of distractions around. Um, Of course, it's wonderful to do it out in nature if you have access to that too.
0: I think that there's a lot of levels of how this could be, but even just letting that be play and curious and childlike, I think one of the things in your book for the walking practice there was even just being like, think if you were just learning to walk, for the first time, how would that feel in your feet? And it just try it. I just, I think the sense of wonder that comes to me when I do some things like this during the day, when I walk in my blocks, I've lived in the same house for a decade. I've walked all over and sometimes I will get from A to B and I'll be like, "Hmm, I don't even remember what I, where I just traveled. And I try to be mindful sometimes. And curious. And it's just fun. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't even noticed that little new yellow painted door. It really fills me with a sense of of wonder and connectedness. And it's just fun to try sometimes something different. So thank you for being open to sharing those practices.
1: Of course. Yeah. And while it's fun and exciting and produces that sense of wonder, you're actually overriding that part of your brain that filters out, all of the goings on, it, it's such an amazing experience. And it happens all the time to us, but we, we're not amazed by it. But this happens driving too, which seems dangerous. But we're driving, you're walking home, and then you don't even think about where to turn. You don't notice anything. You're just automatic. So when you can consciously override that, exciting, right? And you're building that structure, that same structure. Consciously overriding executive functioning prefrontal cortex, building it up, strengthening it up so that you can use it whenever you get drawn away.
0: Yes. And I just have to say, because it's just coming up so strongly for me, I think one of the important distinctions for me and why I chose the walking example is because it it gets to be fun and freeing. And I think some of these conversations people keep an arm's distance away from because they think it has to be serious. I just like the invitation to have it being playful and something you get to do and like a way to kind of spice up your day, but knowing that there are so many levels of depth and how it could positively impact your
1: life. So absolutely. And this leads into, you know, mindful conversations and mindful interactions with other people, which, Ooh, you get to practice that all day. If you, yes. see, if you go out in the world, then you have unlimited opportunities <laughs> to yes. practice that. So it's new and fresh and yeah, you don't have to sit on a meditation cushion or, you know, hang out in a cave in the Himalayas. You can do these types of things anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can expand your perspective and strengthen your mind and self-control and just become a more mindful person in general by literally just throwing these little bits in. It doesn't have to be the whole conversation. It can be just... One minute you control yourself and really stay focused on what the other person is talking about. Don't let your thoughts take hold of you. Loosen that grip.
0: Okay. There's two things. I'm like, oh, I could, (laughs) I feel like I could talk to you for so long. And I want to be mindful. I want to make sure there's a few things that I get to, because I know they're top of mind for my listeners. One is transitions. Okay. So let me just give an example. I think a lot of women who are like working in whatever capacity have situations where they want to feel dropped in and present with the people they love. But the reality is they've got sauce that needs to be stirred. Someone's crying. Someone's calling for help with homework. The spouse is getting home partner, maybe, and they want to be welcome. You know, so nice to see you. And it's just hard to feel present when literally there's not always time to single task. So in these times of transition in the modern woman's life, that it's just real, they happen every day. What is your best advice for more mindful transitions?
1: That's a good question. What comes to mind is having some sort of ritual, even a very small, short ritual. We need to yet transition the mind state. And you may still be stirring the sauce and taking care of the kids and cleaning up something like all at the same time. But then your partner comes home and you can have this ritual, whatever it is, returning to an affirmation in your mind. Maybe I want to be more present in my relationship. I love X, Y, Z, whatever that affirmation is you create. Love when I connect. I love when that uh, first smile when he gets home or she gets home that feeling of connection, reminding yourself, taking a couple of breaths there. So having some sort of ritual between switching. I mean, we know that that's, that's something that's really valuable before bed and some other times. We learned that during COVID, I believe a lot of people learned about it and researched it, is that switching from working from home to regular life in the same location. So yeah, there are processes of really clearing and switching over. So I think ritual is extremely powerful and and we think it has to be, you know this big fancy uh, intense thing, but it could be simple like lighting a candle, taking a few breaths, having a, a mantra, an affirmation that you remind yourself of that really helps you clear and enter a new space.
0: I really like how what you just said, ritual can be something as simple as a short mantra or something we tell ourselves quickly. Even in my mind, if I'm not, if I'm stirring the sauce, let's say I can still say, oh, I'm excited to see my partner. I'd like to greet him with a smile, you know, and just making that be a a tiny individual ritual. And I think it's such an example of how you've, Weave these things into your day-to-day life versus having it be something just separate that you practice. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They And you can see it like that. Like it's a tapestry of mindfulness. They can be separate things as well. They should be things just for you as well. And this doesn't replace that, right? Having an, a, a mental affirmation going on while you're doing five other things doesn't replace self-care. And your own mindfulness practice, you should have that too. Even if it's just 10 minutes in the morning, you have to make that important blocking out your own time because it will make those other parts that are woven in much, much easier.
0: Yes. All right. We're coming up against time, but I just, I know communication is something and you talk in the book quite a bit about mindful listening and communication. How can we be more mindful listeners in just our normal daily conversations?
1: Well, the big answer is that we would be practicing some form of meditation ourselves, meaning the meditation where we're sitting and watching our thoughts. It doesn't have to be just that sort of insight meditation. i guarantee that any sort of meditation, even guided meditations, whatever they are, anything you try, you're going to come up against the thoughts, what's going on in my head, and am I able to detach, right? So it's that, again, strengthening those muscles of detachment, basically, not running away with the emotions and thoughts and feelings, but being able to stay present with yourself. Once you have that kind of self-knowledge, a little bit of that self-knowledge, you know, what kinds of thoughts are running on repeat and how often and how inclined you are to run away with them. Maybe it's different in the morning than at night, different times of day, different times of the month, all of that. Those all make a difference, especially for women. I will say the ease of letting go and detaching, but the more you can do that for yourself, the easier it is to take that into a normal everyday conversation with someone. And in real time, be able to acknowledge as you're listening to them, if you are indeed running away with your thoughts about what they're saying, or how what they're saying reminded you of something. And now you're you're off on that tangent mentally, rather than being with them. So it's going to make it that much easier if you've done the work beforehand. But even if you haven't, or while you're building up those muscles and those practices, you can try the trick of... You know, you're listening with all of your senses, you're paying attention. And in your mind, when they state something, you know, I had a really rough day, there's a lot going on, my kid is sick. And you could say she had a rough day, she has a lot going on, her kid is sick. Uh, In your mind, you're not repeating it back like a robot, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) in your mind, mentally repeating. And maybe that keeps you on target more as well.
0: That's Uh, interesting because you're really digesting. You're just so focused on receiving what they're saying. I think a lot of people start thinking about their response, which is natural, you know, This, but I think it's important. And even with our children and our partners, sometimes it's like our, I think for a lot of women, you're, you have logistical to dos that bubble up, you know, when it's someone that's so familiar, I think that that's a. That's something cool um, for people to try. Thank you for sharing.
1: Of course. Well, that's a good point. When it's so familiar like that, you feel like you don't need to really give it all of your attention. Maybe, you know, like I know what they're saying, I know what's going on. Right. But it's the biggest gift you can give someone, especially in this day and age of, of really dis- distraction and Mm. attention that's strewn out, for someone to give you their full attention in that way, you can feel it. Mm. Every ounce of your body. It is the most beautiful. It's the biggest gift you can give. I will say too, that there is this, it's funny. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I'm curious. There's this, I see this meme a lot and I see people posting about this the last few months a lot saying, normalize not bringing up a relatable experience when someone's having a conversation with you and just being quiet instead I don't know every time I see it I sort of hate it because yes we want to do that we're human right and I understand that they're saying like you know just keep it keep it to yourself be more mindful of what they're saying like but the fact is some people want and need that and that is how we connect we just shouldn't do it in the wrong moment <laughs> make sure they've expressed everything first and kind of clue in and and use your intuition do they need that from you are they looking is their face sort of questioning is are their eyes looking for an empathetic response do they do they want to hear that they're not alone in that do they want advice and you can even ask them mm-hmm. but it's not wrong to give mm-hmm your experience, that's relatable. And so many people really, really want that as well. You could be mindful doing that is what I'm saying. So,
0: yes, I think you hit it just right. I fully agree. It's kind of this difference between half listening to what someone starts to share and being so excited about your thing that, you know, like I've been to Rio too, and like taking (laughs) it over and making it about you. Versus sometimes when someone just is especially having a tough time and wants to know they're not alone. I think everyone wants to feel seen and that it's okay and that you genuinely can relate to what they're going through. Sometimes that's helpful. That's exactly
1: it. It's the intention behind mm -hmm. you bringing up the relatable story, the intention. Mm-hmm. Is it just, you're excited to say it and talk about it again, or it validates something you went through. You know, is it just fresh in your mind and you just want to black it out or are you being really intentional about sharing it? Is it possibly helpful for them? And mm-hmm. then can you wait? Can you let there be space and silence? Can you be patient enough and wait and really, and in that time, focus on them. Because in that time, focusing on them, really focusing on what they're saying, you're probably going to know if they want that share or not.
0: Yes. Okay. This, I have to, now I'm just like, oh my gosh. So let's flip this real quick, because I would like your take on being a mindful communicator. Because I know something I've gotten better at with my husband is just being like, I just need to share this right now, but I don't really want to problem solve it but I just want you to know this is happening and it's been helpful you know it's not so serious she's just like okay thanks for letting me know because he does like to just jump in and that I like that he wants to help but sometimes I'm just like "Mm, I just want you to know this is happening and that's helped me how can we be more
1: mindful communicators that's fantastic. I love that you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, you can have that conversation. I really love questions like that and I, I don't know many people that that are adopting this in their everyday conversations, but I love that like, do you want my advice? Or do you want me to try to help or do you just want me to listen? As a listener, you can state that, you know, let people know. Mm-hmm. even if you tend to be the helper or you tend to be the just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, listener. But you can still ask what they need, because uh, especially in trying times and emotional things going on, they're not necessarily seeking out the person that does the thing that they need back. So Mm -hmm. it's it's just, yeah, it's getting a step ahead and being mindful in that. But of course, you can do that as the speaker, too. Yeah, I just need to I just need to get some things out. I don't really need your opinion on it. Yeah. You can do all these things in a nice way. And the more you do them, the more it normalizes it saying it for yourself. It's going to feel more natural.
0: Exactly. It doesn't feel so like a big
1: formal thing. It's just like, yeah, you know, this is is where it's at. It's not going to. Yeah. You find your own ways to do it. It's not going to, it's not going to sound like, I don't want your opinion, but I want you to hear all this junk. Right. (laughs) Um, You'll find your, your own way to say it. And Yeah, I think introducing that to your friends, to your family, like just doesn't have to be a conversation like, hey, every time we talk now, I think one of us should see how we're talking. (laughs) You can just start slipping in, slip in the question. Most people are not used to getting that question. They're going to appreciate it.
0: Mm -hmm. It can be very organic.
1: Right. I think you
0: can be with children, too. You know, sometimes they just want to release a little. (laughs) All right. Well, this was so lovely to connect with you and I so enjoyed your beautiful book. We'll make sure to share that out with the episode. People are going to want to learn more from you, Jessica, where can they find you?
1: They can find me at centeredwellness.com and that is C N T R D. So no vowels centered all right, centeredwellness.com. They can find my podcast, mindscaping podcast, if they want to practice some of these audio practices and guided meditations. And I'm also on insight timer. They can listen there. Okay. And we had
0: so many juicy discussions. I almost forgot to ask you. I always close with the same question. That is what's one question women should be asking themselves more.
1: What will be the most important thing to me five years from now? Beautiful. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful
0: day. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You too. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.